Thank you, Jason and the worship team. Indeed, he is Lord of all, and I trust today that uh, you can say that of assurance about your life and the Lord's place in it, that he is Lord of your life. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome again to our online uh, broadcast of our Sunday morning service. Of course, we're uh, in this time where the virus has uh, changed lives and uh, certainly redirected so many activities, but uh, we're thankful to have the opportunity to still be a part of um, a part of worship and a part of church ministry through the internet. So uh, we're glad you're with us today. I want to uh, again continue with some of the thoughts I've shared with you in weeks past about some things related to our nation and to our perspective of our nation. And um, you can see by the slide there some familiar objects I trust and the overlap of truth we find in the scripture in things that are certainly important for our nation to understand and for us as Christians. So about a month ago, the first weekend of July, uh, I spoke on America's Declaration of Dependence, and that was for the purpose of emphasizing the Founding Fathers' expression and conviction of America as a nation dependent on God and on His blessings. And indeed, that is so evident in the, so many things that were written of the time. Two weeks ago, I spoke on righteousness, wisdom, and blessing. Uh, those words were chosen to be a companion to the thought of red, white, and blue. And uh, when you think red, white, and blue, think of the letters, righteousness, the letters that for the same words, um, uh, that start the same words, righteousness, wisdom, and blessing. So that was two weeks ago. Now, I speak on these topics. I figure we're, we're, we'll be today three into it, so it's important to sort of have a purpose for what we're doing. I speak to these topics for three distinct yet related reasons to inform and remind biblically-minded Americans of our national heritage and the founding which was based on essential Christian values. Secondly, that in a time when anarchists and other domestic enemies of our country are causing unrest, that Christians might be better prepared to express their voices in the discussions that are happening all around us. And then thirdly, that we might mentally, emotionally, and yes, even spiritually prepare ourselves for the upcoming elections. It's only 93 days away. In this election, biblically-minded Christians must commit to vote biblically-based uh, com uh, convictions. So it should be our prayer. And our purpose, that these three expressions, Christian values, Christian voices, and Christian votes, will help to ignite a new resolve for our nation to follow a path of righteousness, wisdom, and blessing. So help us God. It is indeed our purpose to look at these issues from a biblical perspective. I've used verses to remind us from the Scripture the importance of these truths from a national perspective. Psalm thirty-three, twelve: blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We want to be a blessed nation. We seek God's blessing. But to do so, we need to make sure that he is indeed exalted as Lord and Lord of all. Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. 
Psalm 917, the wicked shall be turned into the grave and all the nations that forget God. So the scripture plainly teaches that a nation who properly exalts God places itself in a position of blessing and righteousness. But the future of any nation that forgets God is death. History books are full of nations and empires which are now dead or which exist today in chaos and calamity, mere shadows of what they once were as they returned their back on God. And you know, it's often been said that America is a Christian nation. Rightly understood, what does that mean? I, I think it's easily understood. It means that we as a people, as a nation, we gain our understanding of human nature and destiny the value and purpose of individual life, the family, ethics, all of this and so much more has emerged out of a Christian biblical truth worldview. When we think of all those important elements of what it is to be in America, its history, its culture, we have to look at them through a biblical worldview because that's where they came from. Not out of Islam, not out of Hinduism or evolution or some other worldview. These are all things based upon a biblical truth. And that foundation has been the reality of receiving God's blessings. America, too, will someday have its end. But while here, while breathing, and while able, Christians should kneel to pray and stand to firmly proclaim that we seek to keep America in the place of God's blessings, that we may continue to have the freedom to preach the truth and the gospel to all the people. So today, I want to take a few moments and continue those thoughts about freedom in a message that I've entitled, The Biblical Basis of liberty, particularly America's liberty. You know, liberty has a long and familiar place in America's existence. We, of course, think of many examples, but listen to these. The Statue of Liberty, it seems like we have to start there, that has stood as a beacon now for many decades to reflect the liberty that is so ingrained in the mindset of what it is to be an American. The Liberty Bell, cast in 1753 with its engraving of a verse from Leviticus 25. On the bell it says, proclaim liberty throughout all the land and to the inhabitants thereof. We have a national monument to the forefathers. It's in Plymouth, Massachusetts. It's a huge structure. Atop that structure is the figure of faith surrounded by four other figures, and one of them is liberty. I'm going to have more to say on the monument to the forefathers at a later time, so we'll come back to that and look at more details soon. In 1765, Samuel Adams formed the Sons of Liberty and their influence over the next 
few decades of America's independence was vital. Of course, our coins and currency all have liberty stamped on them. And many variants of Lady Liberty, sometimes sitting, sometimes walking, sometimes just a profile, all of that began in 1794, even with the very first coins our country minted. Patrick Henry, in the Virginia Convention of 1775, phrased America's most famous seven-word sentence, give me liberty or give me death. Abraham Lincoln in the Gettysburg Address of 1863 forever reminds us that our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty. The preamble of our Constitution proclaims its purpose one of its purposes to be to, to secure the blessings of liberty. There are more than 30 American cities with the name Liberty somehow in their title, one of which is only about 30 miles south of here. And I'm glad to be one of several in our congregation who have degrees from a university named Liberty. Indeed, Liberty is woven through the fabric of our national identity it's engraved in our greatest landmarks and symbols. Indeed, Americans are a liberty-minded people. We're endowed with a birthright of freedom, a genetic bestowment of heritage that is passed from one generation to the next. And with each generation, the expectation that that generation will take liberty to a greater understanding, to a truer application. But I'm afraid the times in which we live in, that expectation has been lost. Indeed, America has not always lived up to the ideals set forth in the founding documents. But it is obvious that America became a nation with wealth and influence around the world as part of the manifold blessings that God granted through the many avenues of liberty. I've had the opportunity over the last dozen years or so to visit, speak, and preach in communist, Muslim, and third world countries. Places where speech is limited, faith expressions are illegal, and individual freedom is non-existent. In 2017, I watched the presidential inauguration from the other side of the world in a Muslim country. I was there for three weeks to teach every day and to preach often. But during that three-week time, I was not even allowed to leave the compound where I was residing. Those realities of a world where liberty and freedom is unavailable are just a stark reminder that we enjoy a great freedom, a freedom built upon biblical principles. Returning from those experiences over those years is always a great reminder of this sweet land of liberty. There's a, a freshness to the air. There's a smile to the conversation. There's a joy to the heart of being in America 
that I believe cannot be found anywhere else in the world. John Adams in 1765 said liberty must at all hazards be supported. We have a right to it, he said, derived from our maker. Our fathers have earned and brought it to us at the expense of their ease, their estates, their pleasure, and their blood. We in our generation, in this generation, cannot let liberty slip through our fingers as if it were just a handful of sand. Its value cannot be underestimated and its importance must be prioritized. Another founding father, lesser known, James Wilson. He was a Pennsylvania representative to the Continental Congress, a signer of the Declaration and of the Constitution. He would be a Supreme Court Justice. In 1790, he connected liberty and law when he said, quote, without liberty, law loses its nature and its name and becomes oppression. Then without law, liberty loses its nature and its name and becomes licentiousness, a word that simply means wasteful self-indulgence. He had it right. Law and liberty must go together. This, I believe, is what's happening in many of America's cities today. Law is being ignored and liberty suffers. Indeed, liberty has been manipulated into an oppression for many to the threat of life and property. We have seen it too often. James Madison, in his essays for the National Gazette in 1792, said, quote, in Europe, charters of liberty have been granted by power. But America has set the example of charters of power granted by liberty. What a great statement. But what was the incentive behind this view of liberty? What motivated a generation to see its value and to be willing to risk their lives, their property, to sacrifice their blood for the cause of liberty? What was that incentive? Some would like to point to the political philosophies that influenced the founding fathers. The Greek Aristotle, the Roman Cicero, the Italian Thomas Aquinas, or the Enlightenment thinker John Locke. While certainly these are men whose writings did influence some of the thinking of our founders, there can be no doubt that biblical truth was an essential component to the conviction of liberty that's found in the generation that fought that revolution, that fought for independence, who gave their lives for the birth of a nation. I think there's a, there's a great story that ties that to more than just theory. This point of biblical value in the understanding of independence and liberty is illustrated in a story from the 1840s. It was a conversation recorded between an elderly veteran of the American War for Independence. His name was Levi Preston. 
He was interviewed by a young historian of the day. Again, this is 1840s. When the historian asked the 91-year-old Preston whether he and his fellow patriots had been influenced in their fight for liberty by the political and philosophical writers of the time, such as Harrington, Sidney, and Locke, Preston paused for a moment, and he said, quote, never heard of them. We only read the Bible, the Catechism, which is the book of Christian doctrine, Isaac Watts' Psalms and Hymns, and the Almanac. Indeed, those were books and writings that influenced a generation greatly as they fought for the value of independence, freedom, and liberty. We never heard of them, he said. We only read the Bible, the Catechism, Isaac Watts' Psalms and Hymns, and the Almanac. Though limited in resources by some standards, they had the greatest resources of all, resources that had a biblical truth valued to them. When asked why they had fought the British, Preston said, quote, we had always governed ourselves and we always meant to. That spirit of independence and liberty within the bounds of God's structure is what brought Preston and a generation to the forefront of the battle where the option was either submission or the sword. May it be that that spirit would arise again in Americans today to stand for truth, to value the reality of how these things impact how not only how we live, but how we raise our children, how we engage ourselves as citizens, how we put in place leaders of our country. You know, almost a month prior to that Declaration of Independence meeting in July of 1776, almost a month prior, the Virginia Declaration of Rights was approved by that body. It reads, in part, all men have certain inalienable rights, including the enjoyment of life and liberty. Our forefathers, now nearly two and a half centuries ago, regarded liberty as a religious imperative. They saw nowhere to compromise. They saw nowhere to give up ground. They sought no means of a mediocre liberty. They sought true liberty. They loved to quote such text as 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And that phrase from the Liberty Bell, first recorded in Leviticus chapter 25, proclaimed liberty throughout all the land and the inhabitants thereof. This was the mindset of a generation. And that mindset helped us lay a foundation that today we still stand upon. They struggled, fought, and engaged the necessity of the struggle for freedom of worship. They fought and died for the right to speak their conscience, for a free press to put their convictions into writing, 
and many other things that we see eventually would find their way into the Bill of Rights. Additionally, they saw something that I think is lacking in our culture today. They saw a link between liberty and private belongings. A popular slogan of the time was life, liberty, and property. They didn't want the government to have control of their economic standing. To them, liberty meant the ability to pursue one's endeavors and to put to practice your skill set, your knowledge, your ability to maintain a living for yourself in support of your family. They knew that liberty had an outcome. It wasn't just an ideal recorded in books and discussed from pulpits or lecterns around the nation. It had a practical daily application. They knew that liberty, indeed, as a priceless treasure, which must be defended. And I submit today that battle still rages, that we seek to defend liberty because of the possibility it provides for us in serving the Lord and in helping others. So I believe liberty has two possibilities, two paths that it can be established upon. These are mutually exclusive. It's either one or the other. The first path is when liberty is properly understood and rightly exercised, it can be a torch to light a path of peace, prosperity, and potential for every person. But this type of liberty can only succeed when biblical virtues are exercised. That's one path. It's plain, it's clear. Liberty is that torch to lead the way when exercised within biblical virtues. The other path, a contrary path, is when liberty is pursued without biblical virtues. When that happens, the attitude of I'll do whatever I want takes hold, at which point the flame of liberty fans into a destructive wildfire that broadly destroys people, property, and possibility. There is indeed a mindset today among many, I'll do what I want. They snub their nose at God. They ignore and willfully break the law. They seek to exercise a liberty that is not of a biblical basis, but of a sinful basis. And that's what's happening. That's what we're seeing happening in American cities every day right now. It's just a reflection of a person's perspective to God, themselves, and the importance of liberty. Liberty has many facets to it. I spent much of these last couple of weeks searching books, websites, to try and find the principles or the concepts that build liberty. I was excited to read many lists. They numbered from five to almost 30. Historians, philosophers, even theologians weighed in on what are the components of America's liberty. And there were some great writings, some great lists. However, today I've only got time to mention a few. But a few that I think are certainly valuable and important. The biblical basis of liberty is found in, first, the acknowledgement that God exists. 
not a random God, not a deity of far removed universal existence, but a God that is described to us in the Bible, personal, relevant, engaged. He is the high king of heaven, as we sang earlier, but he's also that cornerstone of our life. That God exists, a biblical basis of liberty starts there. After all, God is recognized in the Declaration of Independence. So we know it was important to those founders. He is recognized as creator, nature's God, the lawgiver, supreme God, and our supreme judge, rather, in providence. The founders knew to seek God's provision and God's protection as they endeavored to fight for liberty and the cause that they deemed just. And it is God who has endowed humanity with those certain inalienable rights, as they wrote. The first biblical basis of liberty is to recognize God. A second one, that those God-ordained and God-given rights are to be protected by government under the law. Government is given that responsibility to protect those God-given rights, meaning life, liberty, property, and potential should be equally guarded. It is disturbing in today's world that many government officials do not see this truth and instead are allowing premeditated destruction of life and property. It is government's job to provide equal protection under the law. It is not the government's job to provide equal things for everyone. A principle of liberty. A third principle is found in the First Amendment to the Bill of Rights. There cannot be a national church influenced by national government. A truth that European countries had for centuries ignored. When you read the history of the European countries, war after war was fought because there was a blending of a national church and a national government. The king or queen, whoever the ruler was, whatever their religion was is what was expected of the people and of the nation. In history, records many wars, the death of millions because of an improper understanding of how the nation should exist with a church and a government. They ignored Christ's words of Luke 20, 25, render therefore to Caesar the things which are Caesar's and to God the things which are God, are God's. They are, they are not to be intertwined. And so that establishment clause of the First Amendment takes right aim at making sure there was no such national church. Liberty, of, a fourth, fourth principle of liberty. Liberty requires private virtue for the individual. It requires a virtuous citizenry and a moral people who elect virtuous leaders who then exercise civic virtue in, the, in exercising their duties. We should raise our voices to call for leaders who exercise courage, honor, humility, integrity, initiative, justice, 
and perseverance, just a few of the values that have a biblical reference point that we should expect of those with whom we, the people, endow with power. Indeed, this is the lifeblood of liberty, biblical virtues. A last one I'll mention from a list that could number five to six times as long. A biblical basis of American liberty is a free market economy, which provides the highest levels of liberty in pursuit of happiness. The economic laws of supply and demand, land, labor, capital, entrepreneurship, all provide a mechanism for individuals to build personal assets and personal wealth. Attributes that are supported by the Bible. Listen to verses like Proverbs 14.23, which reminds us, In all labor there is profit. Psalms 128.2, Thou shalt eat the labor uh, of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be when, when it shall be well with thee. The labor of our hands is the way in which we gain the economic means to supply the needs for ourselves and our families. You see, where many mess up, is that they see and interpret liberty as liberty from something. Liberty to them means liberty liberty from God, liberty from law, liberty from obligations and responsibilities. It's that I'll do it, I'll do whatever I want to do. That attitude is a dead end of despair and destruction. No, rightly interpreted liberty is liberty to something, not liberty from something. It is liberty to be exercised within the bounds of virtue. Liberty when exercised by honest, virtuous, God-fearing individuals is when liberty pursues its highest goal. It allows the individual to pursue personal achievement to exercise individual convictions, and to work toward a stable and happy life that is also reflective of loving God and loving others. You see, liberty is not an escape from something. It's a call to something. And understanding liberty properly means that we have the opportunity to see the same blessings and benefits applied to our lives as individuals, as families, and as a nation. And we need to stand firm upon that conviction. Our civil liberties that we do enjoy as Americans, that are granted to us by God and guaranteed through our laws and Constitution, the Bill of Rights, our civil liberties are but a structure with which we exercise our citizenship. But as any structure it must have a firm foundation to stand. To the founders, that essential foundation for liberty is the individual virtue built upon Christian values. In a letter to the officers of the Massachusetts militia in 1798, John Adams wrote, quote, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people, it is wholly inadequate to the government of any other, end quote. You see, plainly stated, the Constitution 
as it's properly exercised and properly understood, is an insult to anyone who is not biblically based in their thinking and liberty-minded in their actions. Hear that again. I think it's important. Plainly stated, the Constitution is an insult to anyone who is not biblically based in their thinking and liberty-minded in their actions. Liberty in and of itself is a reality not limited to being secular, political, or even national. Liberty is not even uniquely American. It is a reality expressed and valued in the Bible. It's a biblical truth. I resist much comment because I want to read simply some passages from the scriptures regarding liberty. Jesus proclaimed in Luke chapter 4, verses 17 through 19, there in the synagogue, the scroll was brought to him from what we now know as Isaiah 61. And in that moment, Jesus quoted that passage from Isaiah 61. It reads in part, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recover sight to the blind, to set at liberty them which are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Christ acknowledged in that moment that his calling here as the very Son of God on earth, was to set at liberty, was to deliver the captives, was to heal the brokenhearted, those with whom life had led them down a path of no freedom, bound by their sin, could now find liberty and freedom in Christ. Luke chapter 4. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. John chapter 8, verse 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, or liberate you, ye shall be free indeed. Another part of that passage reads, And ye shall know the truth. How do you know the truth? It's God's Word. That's how you know the truth revealed to us in that passage, and the truth shall make you free or shall liberate you. Those who pursue liberty in one hand with error and falsehood in the other are bound to be lost. They have no direction and guidance in life. They speak of liberty, yet their soul is bound by sin. Galatians 5.1, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. 2 Corinthians 3.17, I mentioned it earlier. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. James reminds us in chapter 1, look into the perfect law of liberty. Can you see now why liberty became such a driving force in the mindset of that founding generation? They understood the importance that the Bible placed on liberty 
and they saw the application to the civil exercise of liberty. And to them, the choice of submission or the sword meant that they would pick up the sword before they would bow the knee. Their exercise of an understanding of liberty needs to be revived in our hearts today. And I submit it must begin with Bible-believing Christians. It has no other option. There is no other ground prepared for the understanding of liberty like those who have faith in Christ. These verses remind us of the great application of liberty. Sure, it has a place in our civil understanding, in our government structure. It has a place in the laws of our land. But all of that is secondary until liberty is first received in the heart of each individual. Humanity is bound to sin, bound to sin at birth. It is a slavery which knows only an ever-increasing depravity and perversion. It is in this condition that mankind exhibits the worst conducts of rebellion and immorality and then dies to eternal condemnation. That's the reality of the truth of human existence. That in that condition, mankind exhibits the worst conducts of rebellion against God and law, against the neighbor, against the family member, the worst conducts of rebellion and immorality, and then dies to eternal condemnation. I might would say it this way, very simply. That's the bad news. The reality of Christ's coming is that he brings good news. The gospel, the liberty of the gospel is found in Jesus Christ. It is only in Christ, the virgin-born, eternal Son of God, whose perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection that true liberty can be known by the individual. Without faith in Christ, our souls are bound to sin. A temporal and an eternal destruction awaits in that condition. You and I know the blessings of civil liberties today. We can be thankful to a generation who saw the value of it were willing to give their lives for it and designed and structured a nation where liberty could be nourished and its fruits would be manifold. We know those civil liberties. But if we stop the conversation there, we fall far short of a true understanding of liberty. It is truly a liberty which must be understood in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior that high king of heaven that we sang about earlier. To know the blessings of civil liberties is but a mild blessing. The greatest blessing of all is to know the truth of eternal liberty, spiritual liberty, which is found only in Christ. Christ has given us that liberty. He is setting the captive free. He is healing the brokenhearted. He is binding the wounds of those who need healing. Have you accepted Christ today? 
Is he the great liberator of your life and of your soul? Have you received that new birth that Christ brings to the heart of every individual who bows and acknowledges their sin, confesses it before a holy God, and receives that gift of eternal life? For as Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Not to make you a better citizen of Israel, but to make you a son of God. Where do you stand today? The most important question is, do you know personally the spiritual liberty that Christ brings? If not, then I encourage you to pray that prayer. Accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and allow the liberty of Christ to be brought into your very soul through the new birth. I believe that mindset will have a great impact not only on the individual life, but on the home, on the community, and certainly on the nation. And it's important in these days and in this time that we understand the biblical basis of liberty, that we might properly exercise it so that we can retain the ability to preach the truth and preach the gospel of our Lord and Savior, the great high King of heaven, Jesus Christ. I trust that will be true for you today. I'd like to close in prayer. Pastor Jason is going to come and close our time out together with some announcements and requests. Dear Father, thank you for this, for this time where we can again be reminded of the truth of your word and what it teaches us about this important concept of liberty. Thank you for America. It indeed has not lived up to its ideals as established by our founding fathers, but we strive and may we continue with every generation to see liberty better understood and better exercised. May we find ourselves kneeling at the feet of Christ and Christ alone as our Lord and Savior, acknowledging that only through Him do we have salvation, and only through Him can our nation find again its calling of greatness through your strength and through your power, through your grace and through your mercy. I pray that you'll bless this nation as we move forward, as we look to these elections. May indeed Christian values, Christian voices, and Christian votes ignite a movement of our land so that we may see great days ahead and that future generations will be able to hear the truth of the gospel proclaim it freely across our country. Thank you for your blessings for this day and for this time. We pray that you'll be honored through all that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.